Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio, and I'm Jeff Lucas. Some of us, perhaps myself included, gain our sense of significance by the fact that we're busy. But actually, if we're not careful, we can fill our lives with stuff, but not the stuff that really matters. So tonight, here on Lucas on Life, let's talk about slowing down. We're talking about slowing down. I stared at the envelope and tried to halt the rising feeling of dread that sickened my stomach. Adorning one corner of the stern brown stationery was the logo of the Surrey Constabulary. I couldn't believe it. I'd been caught speeding yet again, the hapless target of a speed camera. I won't make light of my crime because speeding kills people and I was guilty. Never mind that I was only four miles per hour over the limit. I was speeding. Last time it happened, I was forced to attend a speed awareness course. A sorry, ashamed-looking group shuffled into a lecture room for a three-hour event designed to show us just how devastating speed can be. I actually rather enjoyed the experience and stayed behind afterwards to thank the instructor for a good evening. He responded by looking at me as if I were quite mad. I graduated from the course, which was no great achievement because all you had to do was show up. And that night, I vowed that I'd slow down, a pledge that clearly I hadn't honoured, given the arrival of this latest sad brown envelope. As I've said, I live my life at speed. I eat quickly, and I can't think why. Savouring the flavours of food has never been my style. I wish that I could say that I was raised in a large, hungry family, where if you didn't eat your chicken quickly, it would be snatched off the plate, but that's just not true. I just race through my food because I race through everything. I speed read, preferring to skim over sentences rather than fully digest the words. I multitask, steam through to-do lists, and fume in rush-hour traffic jams where congestion means that the one thing you can't do is rush. I get things done so that I can get on to the next thing. But there's always something else to do, somewhere else to go, some other experience that demands that whatever I'm doing, I won't be doing it for long. Lately, I've been asking myself then, why the haste? Rushing is an unconscious habit and one that's hard to break. I dash without thinking. I don't have to be late, under pressure or behind schedule in order to be in a hurry. Slowing down takes conscious effort. In a world of fast food and high-speed Wi-Fi, it's easy to just go with the flow, even if the flow is a torrent rather than a trickle. And then I rush simply because I've always rushed. It's my default setting. I've no idea how long my mother was in labour when I came into the world, but I do know that I arrived early, very prematurely. Perhaps I took minutes rather than hours to make my appearance, and having received a slap from the midwife, I proceeded to ask when school would be starting. Then there's that subtle pressure to be busy, because haste offers proof that we are in demand, that those who need us must get in line or take a number. Why is slowing down so hard? When I relax, I feel guilty. Going on holiday takes serious mental and emotional preparation. Suddenly finding myself without activity and the rush created by rushing, 
I can spiral down into vague depressiveness, enduring rather than enjoying those lazy days of sunshine. But as the speed awareness course demonstrated with horrifying illustrations, speed is truly devastating, and not just on the roads. I've made super swift decisions that proved to be disastrous, and many messes that could have been prevented with some pause. And I've wasted too many beautiful moments because I've not been fully present in them, quickly dashing on to the next thing, thinking it would be better, which it invariably isn't. Life lived like that becomes something to get through rather than an experience to savor. If I want to become more like Jesus, then a better rhythm won't be a luxury, but a necessity. Jesus knew how to say no. At times, he evaded the madding crowds and commanded his friends to come apart for a while, presumably so that they wouldn't fall apart. Perhaps some of us tonight need to hear a serious call to just slow down. It was obvious to all that my sermon was drawing to a close. Not only had I uttered the words much beloved by congregations everywhere, and finally, but in summarizing the key points of my sermon, it was very clear that I was preparing to land the proverbial plane. This was further confirmed by some members of the worship team ambling back on stage with a keyboard player poised to tickle the keys. Final confirmation that this preacher was just about done. But it was then that I sensed heightening tension because everyone knew what was coming, the time of response. My friends in the Salvation Army have their mourners bench, while Pentecostals in America often provide tissues for the convenience of the tearfully repentant. My listeners braced themselves for the response time. What followed was a surprise to all, including me. These response times are usually designed to seal the deal, as it were, at the end of the sermon. The sermon lays down a challenge. The response time is the moment when the listeners pick up that metaphorical gauntlet, engage their will, and decide. The actual choice varies. It may be a step towards giving more financially or just giving something. It might be that the respondent is deciding to become a Christian or determining to pass the good news around more intentionally. They might be turning their back on a destructive pathway currently being trod. They might be making a heart choice to mend a broken relationship. But the idea is simple. Here's what God says in his word. So now, what are we going to do about it? Response takes faith from cherished Sunday morning theory to Monday morning action. At least, that's the idea. And these moments of response can be very, very good. My own father, hardened by the bitterness that had encrusted him during his five years as a half-starved prisoner of war, he walked to the front of a church at the conclusion of a Sunday morning service because he decided to follow Christ. It was wonderful, but a little bewildering too, as he walked forward without there being an actual invitation given. The pastor was sharing the end of the service announcements, otherwise known as the notices. So the mildly confused congregation couldn't figure out if dad was coming home to Jesus or registering an interest in the ladies' embroidery group that meets on Tuesday mornings. It was, of course, a beautiful day. That evening, I was preaching in another church and my parents sat up in the balcony. 
During my sermon, I pointed up to my dad and said, See that man there? He's my dad visiting all the way from England. This morning he made a response to Jesus, and tonight he's a Christian. A thousand people stood up and gave him a standing ovation, celebrating his response, and he smiled and waved like a member of the royal family. Whatever the reason for the response, the opportunity to decide is good. But all that said, it can get to be just a little tiring. If you've been around Christian subculture for a while, you can start to feel worn out by the responses, especially if you're in a church where an RSVP is extended every Sunday. We can feel overwhelmed by the continual barrage of coulds, shoulds, oughts, and musts, and then we can get into that frantic busyness that we've been talking about. Now, I'm not suggesting that passive Christianity is the way forward. The church showcased in the New Testament, while being far from perfect, it was certainly hardworking. They spent their lives and they gave their all for the gospel. But that same New Testament talks about the sense of rest that is the heritage of every believer. Belief without effort is meaningless. Belief that is just about effort is exhausting. Derek Tidball is an esteemed retired college principal, theologian, author, and speaker. Once I was conducting a radio interview with Derek about a recent book that he'd written, and I asked him if he could distill all of that learning and reflection into one key statement that he felt was of great significance. His answer went like this. He said, We spend too much time talking about what we can do for God not enough time talking about what God has done for us in Christ. And when we do talk about what God has done, we then too quickly rush to speak about what we can therefore do for him. In that insightful sentence, Derek handed me a valuable key. In my own life, and certainly in the lives of other Christians, I've noticed that fidgety agitation. We never seem to be able to pray enough, give enough, serve enough, do enough. The Christian life can seem to be filled with imperatives, calls to action. And again, discipleship is a call to action, but it's a call centered around the finished work of Jesus that leads to peace. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us. It's partnership with God in what he wants to do through us, not just lots of things that we attempt for him. Today, we need to know that we're not called to a treadmill, but rather to a rest, resting in God's work, his forgiveness, acceptance, and the love that we could never earn. So, back at the end of that sermon, when everyone was tensed for the so-called response time, I offered a rather unusual invitation. Tonight, I said, I want you to respond by doing this. Please do absolutely nothing except just sit down. That's right. If you're weary, worn out, disappointed, just do this sit down. Don't come forward. Don't pray or feel compelled to make any decisions. Don't do anything. Just take the weight off your feet. The result was unexpected. Some hesitated, nervous that a Christian gathering could conclude without the anticipated barrage of imperatives. Some people actually burst into tears as they just took their seats. Others said that they had palpably sensed the presence of God in that moment. Perhaps it was just the relief the knowledge that being a Christian is not just about what we do for God, but includes resting in all that God has done for us. And after the service was over, 
numbers of people came up to say how significant the opportunity to just do nothing had been for them. They just sat down. What is Jesus doing right now? One biblical picture has him sitting down at the place of final accomplishment and ultimate comfort at the right hand of the Father. So today, if you are busy for God, thank you for your tireless faithfulness. I mean that sincerely. And if you're hassled, frazzled, worn out and weary, why not just take five minutes to just be with that seated Jesus and join him? Go on, take the weight off your feet. Just sit down. Slowing down. One way that we can slow down is perhaps to cut out some of our so-called multitasking. A message popped up on my computer and it seemed innocuous enough announcing that it was time for my software to be updated. A single mouse click would launch the procedure. Normally, I slow down and pause before performing this kind of techno task, but that day I was working on about 10 projects at once and so without thinking, I clicked. I made the choice without slowing down. Big mistake. Two hours later, I was left holding a laptop that was damaged beyond repair. Hard drive obliterated, data wiped out, book manuscripts, accounts, emails. They were all vaporized. I had to spend three days with an adolescent genius trying to rebuild the computer. It was so frustrating. A few days later, I popped into a motorway bathroom, and having washed my hands, I stood for 30 seconds with my hands outstretched in a worshipful position, waiting for the hot air to dry them. And then the truth dawned. I was actually waiting in vain for a vending machine to dry my hands. Passers-by were bemused by this strange chap who seemed lost in adoration before a silver box that dispenses contraceptives and breath mints. Awkward. But both of these episodes happened because I was rushing, multitasking, texting while I was walking into the aforementioned motorway toilets. I'd paused my texting to answer a call and then got an email. Focused, I most certainly had not been. So as we think about slowing down, perhaps one practical suggestion is that we build technology breaks into our lives, both at work and at home. And to be the most beneficial, they should probably be for a minimum period of one to three hours at a time because that enables us to slow down and engage with people or tasks in a deeper way. It's also recommended that we avoid all screens which stimulate far more than they relax for the first and last hour of the day so that we can begin and end our days with uncluttered focus. Perhaps like me, you're in the middle of a great conversation with a friend and your phone beeps, demanding your instant attention. But here's the truth. If we're going to slow down, we need to know this. It can wait. See you next time. Lucas on Life.